This is Bart Peterson, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Greg Gilchrist, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Dan DeMarco, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, I visit with Nick and Gio Gallo, the co-CEOs at Compliance Line, about the company's 2020 Ethics and Compliance Hotline Benchmark Report. We take a look at the data, how it was generated, the findings, the executive summary, some of the surprises, and how you can use the information to improve your compliance program going forward. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Pox, back for another episode, and I'm extraordinarily pleased today to have the Brothers Gallo join me, Nick and Gio from Compliance Line. They have recently issued the Compliance Line 2020 Benchmark Report, and it has it's a fascinating report. It has some fabulous information in it, and uh, they were gracious enough to take some time to sit down and visit with me about it. So, gentlemen, first of all, welcome, and thank you for, so much for taking the time to visit with me. Hey, Tom. We're glad to be here. Uh, it's always a pleasure uh, hanging out with you on your podcast. We're uh, big fans and uh, excited to get into this today. So why don't you tell uh, the listeners what your roles are uh, at the company? So uh, I'm Gio. I'm uh, co-CEO with Nick. And um, you know, uh, one of my titles is Chief Development Officer. So spend time on um, our software and our uh, our kind of the direction of the products that we're offering to the market, and also help focus on the development of, of our people and our culture. Um, and you know, right now, just spending a lot of time um, talking to people in the market and helping people, you know, really just understand how we can help them out and how Compliance Line can serve them. Um, as they become clients or as, as we just help them become more successful with our tools. Yeah, and uh, I am a chief servant, so we kind of view ourselves as the root of the tree. We're at the bottom of our organization here to kind of serve all of our people, make their lives easier so that we can serve as a group who uh, our real boss, which is our client. So uh, to sum that up, I kind of stand at the bottom of the hill with my arms open waiting for all that crap to roll down, and I just catch it with a smile. <laughs> One of the things I really enjoyed about Compliance Line as a whole, and you guys as well, is your outreach to the compliance community. And you've done multiple things. You blog, you have podcasts, you have webinars, you have uh, uh, short uh, educational uh, videos. And now you've released a 2020 benchmark uh, report. So uh, I view this as part of your outreach. You may view it as a little bit differently, but it's a great resource. So could I start with asking, you know, what's the genesis of the report and how did you draw data to uh, for it? Yeah, thanks for that, Tom. Um, yeah, I mean, we we're always looking to do what we can to fulfill our mission to make the world a better workplace. And we do that through helping ethics experts and compliance leaders really just do their job better. And, you know, some of the things you mentioned are some on kind of the softer side of educational videos and helping empower our community and helping people see what a strategic lever they can be in their organization. And then we're always going to marry that with the more objective things like some that are in this this report of data and benchmarking and things like that. In our products, we always have those two sides of it. We have the service and we have the technology that's scalable and things like that. So, you know, we realized a couple of years ago that compliance line is providing service to leaders 
who care for over 6 million employees worldwide. And as we've done things like we do, we do uh, customer advisory boards with our clients and, you know, kind of share best practices across people um, in the same industry and things like that, we, we've realized more and more how hungry compliance leaders are for some of these data to understand kind of where, where they stand. Everyone's working hard. Everyone's trying to do their best. But when you get a sense for what the benchmark is and you know that, okay, you know, I'm kind of fine on these three or four metrics, but I can really Really improve here. We realized how valuable that that was to our client base. So our first step for it was to build some internal benchmarking reports where we can compare client to client across an industry. And we've been doing that for a little over a year. And uh, this year we kind of got um, all the data together to put this public report out there because you know we're always going to serve our clients, but we also want to just serve the broader compliance community. And uh, this was really uh, <laughs> a labor of love across a bunch of people on our team to get the data together. We had people in support and in sales and in marketing and our analytics team and operations and all of that kind of getting this together because we realized from talking to our clients really how hungry people were for this and we wanted to just share it with the world. You want to add anything to that, Nick? Yeah, I think what I would add is um, as we started getting into, into our data, you know, we kind of come at this game a little bit different. We're, you know, we kind of view compliance as this untapped uh, resource in, in most organizations, this untapped uh, strategic lever. And um, I think we're kind of standing at this precipice of a new a new era in compliance. Yep. And to echo some of the things Geo said, you know, um, it's time for us to kind of elevate and make this check the box function or as uh, I think you've put it in the past, Tom, you know, this function, this uh, monster from the island of Dr. No to kind of get them a seat at the table. And I think in order in order to do that, we need to do things a little bit differently. We need to use tools that we have in place in a more strategic way. And I think as we went out into the marketplace and saw kind of the NAVX report and some of the uh, the benchmarks and data points from there, and we compared those to, uh, as Gio was saying, to our, our, our own metrics, we just saw like a material difference in sort of some of the ways that our, our clients were utilizing our tools and the types of results they were getting. Um, and we just uh, we wanted to kind of bring another voice to the market because, you know, a lot of us are in these little cubby holes and we're, you know, trying to push this rock up uh, the hill and we don't have a lot of insights into what other folks are doing. So just want to give another data point out there to show people what's possible and give them some tips on how they can really kind of elevate their function to get that seat at the table and earn it, so to speak. And I know I've had uh, you guys on other podcasts, but to remind uh, our listeners, you guys come from private equity don't come from a compliance background. And I think that gives you a different perspective than certainly someone like myself, who's a legally trained professional or someone who's even a compliance trained professional to look at things in a different way, look at the numbers and see where they may be trending and actually use the numbers to improve the process and the efficiency of, of the compliance function. So uh, I really applaud that effort. I was wondering if we could turn to the report. We're not going to be able to have the time to go through the full report but uh, because it's uh, over 40 pages, but could we start maybe with uh, some of the highlights from the executive summary? Yeah, I think there are a couple uh, big takeaways from the executive summary. This uh, The report has 10 different um, items and metrics in it where we, we show our number, we compare it to um, kind of the, the industry report that people have been looking at for years. Um, and then we also share some insights into if, if you're off, uh, if you're kind of off the key benchmark number, what might be driving you to be higher or lower than that? And then what can you do to fix it? So a, a couple things that I would point out are one, 
that this whole game, this whole benchmarking game is about balance. There's not a lot that you can always tell by just looking at one number. Um, and, uh, you really want to kind of balance considerations for, let's say, you know, the amount of anonymous reports you have with your substantiation rate, or look at the total number of reports per employee you have against, um, you know, your, your issue close time. So, um, there's always some nuance in this and we, we've done our best to help some people kind of see how these things tie together. Um, but ultimately this is about balancing your budget with your impact, with kind of these, these different, um, metrics that are going to ultimately drive your risk management and a strong culture. So, um, a couple things from the executive summary that I'd point out. Um, one is just around uh, reporting rate. What we see within our client base, and you know, like Nick said, uh, we do this a little bit differently than um, with the way a lot of people view compliance. We don't we don't view compliance as a check the box. Let's just kind of be able to tell some external party that we do this thing. We see it as a really powerful way to impact the culture, align people around a mission, um, and obviously manage risk. Um, so as we do that, we've seen that um, the reporting rate for our client base, which um, you know I think more than uh, most other uh, vendors or hotline or whistleblower providers, um, our client base really does it right. And we see that they have a higher incidence of reporting per 100 employees, more around four reports per 100 employees versus the 1.4 that people are looking at. Um, so to us, that speaks to a culture of transparency, a speak up, up culture, and um, a process from intake through to investigation that really engages employees and makes them part of the compliance efforts. Um, and then kind of the bookend of that um, for me is that when this whole thing works right and this whole thing, you know, we kind of see an equation here of if you have empathetic intake and you have um, a good, good employee engagement and you have systematic follow-up, then you can ultimately close cases faster. And what we're seeing in this report is that, um, on average people within our community and, uh, on our platform are closing cases with, within 23 days on average. And that's compared to the 45 day that people might have thought was kind of good enough. Um, and we just think that speaks to the strength of being dedicated to this process, having a fully, a fully integrated intake and investigation process that touches your culture. And we think that it's a really powerful thing, not to just keep companies safer, but to demonstrate the the success and the professionalism of the, the compliance function. And ultimately, I think that, that when you do these, these things together, the compliance team is more relaxed and more focused on the things that matter instead of uh, kind of trying to scramble. Yeah. And on that, on that case closure thing, I think what I would also add, and I, and Tom, you and I, you and I have talked about this in the past, but you know, you got to get those cases closed within 30 days and um, the average is all well and good. It's great to have a lower average, but um, the distribution of that average is also super critical. If you have a really wide distribution where some cases are getting closed in a day and, you know, an equal amount are getting closed in a hundred days or 120 days to arrive at that 23 day average, that's not as compelling if the overwhelming majority are happening under that 30 days. And what we've seen is that about 80% of our, um, 80% of the cases in our system are getting closed uh, within that 30-day window, and uh, under 5% are getting closed over 90 days. So, look, some stuff, as you well know, is going to take a long time. It could be a complex case. It could be hard to get um, get in front of folks. But to echo Gio's point, I think the organizations that utilize compliance in a strategic way, um, they recognize the, the sort of externalities of what this function can um, 
have or uh, the externalities that that can result, um, you know, from this function working or, or or not working, and the long or the sort of far-reaching implications of those on culture, on turnover, on employee engagement, that silent killer in, in an organization. Those folks um, are really really elevating it, and really um, they're really driving some of that goodness that we're all that we're all trying to go after, and it's showing up in the numbers, which is exciting. Yeah. What were some of the key highlights uh, for for you guys, I guess, in terms of insights, but also in terms of uh, did anything surprise you? Did it take you in a direction you weren't uh, really expecting or were you able to really use this to help? uh, I'm not sure the word educate would be correct, but work with your clients to uh, to create actual improvement process improvement. Yeah, that's a great question. And um, you and I, as we were kind of prepping for this, we were talking about this thing about uh, the four minute mile. And for many years, there was a belief that no one could run a mile faster than four minutes. There were doctors that would say the human body would break down and explode and die, blah, blah, blah. Um, And I think it was in the early 1900s, um, somebody finally broke the, the four minute mile. They got like, you know, three minutes and 58 seconds or something. And within the next two months, can I just stop you there? Uh, yeah, three fifty three fifty nine four. Roger Bannister, nineteen fifty four. Yeah, so right after that, <laughs> thank you for tightening that up, Tom. Uh, so right after that, then you see all these people start breaking this, you know, this previously <laughs> thought of, uh, you know, wall that was kind of impossible to get through. So part of what we found is that just showing people what's possible. Um, has allowed them to see, okay, well, wow, we can close 80% of our cases in less than 30 days. So part of it is just that psychological uh, opening of the mind, so to speak, around, you know, what's possible. Um, I think what else was kind of, kind, of, kind of surprising as we really started getting in the numbers was, you know, and maybe this is a little bit selfish, but um, it, was, it's, it was encouraging for us that our kind of uh, – our more arduous approach to compliance does result in the the better outcomes that we're talking about. Like we answer every call live. We lead with empathy over, over efficiency. Some of these things that, you know, there's probably a cheaper way for us to run our business. They do end up resulting in some of these outcomes that we're all going, going after and there's data to support it. Um, so that was a, um, that was a surprise or a confirmation of something we had kind of hoped to see, but the extent of the differential, it wasn't just kind of uh, little differences um, in a lot of these benchmarks, they were material differences. And again, it speaks to the potential that compliance can have to drive, uh, you know, this better culture or to really crowdsource risk in an effective way. Listening to your answer, Nick, um, my relationship with you guys has really been an ongoing dialogue. Mm-hmm. It's been in podcasts, it's been in conversations, it's been in a number of ways, but it strikes me that to classify you guys as a product service provider might not be correct because it seems to me that you're having this sort of ongoing dialogue with your customer base and you're having throughout the year. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, it, is. Yeah, it really is. And I think it's uh, it's part of kind of 
it's been part of our ethos since we were founded, and it's just part of how we view this. I think there are a lot of uh, providers in this game who have kind of taken on this private equity mindset of, hey, let's be a, a software as a service company because we're going to be able to sell this to a bunch of people at some point. And we've seen all that acquisition kind of roll through the industry and drop service levels. For us, we were founded by compliance consultants who knew that compliance officers needed a better solution to a problem. And we've always been solution focused, not just product focused. And to your point, Tom, you know, we, we invest a lot into a really wonderful and dedicated account management team that is calling people up and, you know, doing reviews with them that is, is identifying, you know, uh, anomalies within their system and driving conversations around how can we help get this better. And we also have a client success team that is looking specifically at the way people use our platform and our software and things like that and say, hey, you might not be using this feature, but this could probably save your team, you know, a few hours a week. And that's just part of how we do this because, you know, for us, um, you know, Nick talked about how Nick and I are kind of the base of the tree and we're at the bottom of our organizational chart. Well, the top of our org chart is the client and we're all here to serve that client. So we're always looking for ways to figure out how can we make their, their job easier? How can we use our expertise? Because, I mean, we're thinking about this stuff all the time. We're processing all these reports. We're developing software and all that. How can we use that to help make them the hero within their own organization? And it's really just an approach that we take that we don't see a lot of other people do. do. We do it on sanction check where we have our software and then we have full service on top of it. We have, you know, we, we have it with the way that we provide support and all that. Um, and ultimately, we are, our dream is that every client that comes to us as we cover more and more millions of employees around the world, a client sees us as an extension of their team and says, wow, it's so nice to have a vendor who actually cares about what I care about instead of just cares about what's going into their pocket and what I can enforce, you know, with a legal contract. Yeah. And I think what I would add to that, uh, Tom, is that, you know, in the same way that Gio and I can't expect our team to be true servants to our clients, if we're not the example of what a servant should be. And just like compliance line can't help, you know, fortune 500 organizations reinforce their culture. If our own culture stinks, right. The same, the same, that same kind of dynamic is in play with this conversation. We're talking about a lot of, uh, compliances potential, uh, in most or, or organizations is shifting from kind of checking the box, doing tasks and understanding that they're really part of a broader conversation. And it's that back and forth. And that's something that we touch on a lot in the report, that your intake channel is not just a sort of a bottomless comment box. It needs to be part of a conversation. So that's a give and take and a back and forth. So those same principles, I think, are rightly overlaid in our interaction with our clients, or at least that's where our heart is, because Things are changing, to your point. Uh, regulations are changing. There's new guidance coming out. Um, a lot of these functions are greatly understaffed, under budget, um, you know, tight budgets and all, all of that kind of stuff. So if, we, if we're go- going to make the world a better workplace, it takes that kind of constant interaction and that constant back and forth uh, to help them you know, climb this mountain that we're all trying to scale together. You know, Nick, it also strikes me that I had interpreted your role in servant leadership servant to your employees, but I think that is understates your role uh, because you're a servant to a much broader set of stakeholders, starting with your clients. Yeah, that's, that's totally spot on. And, you know, um, it's kind of nice that this triple bottom line discussion is starting to come into the zeitgeist. Um, That's how we've run the company kind of from, from the start. But, you know, you know, that old saying, you know, if a fish stinks, it stinks from the head that goes both ways. So, um, 
you know, we are serving, you know, our servant leadership is in pursuit of compliance line being a great place to do business with. Right. So there are, there is that added dimensionality to this, this ethos that we're trying to put into work. Yeah. And I I think that, you know, we're, Tom, I appreciate you bringing up kind of how we as a company are living this out. Ultimately, this ties back into the benchmark report and why this is relevant, not just why we put it out, but how our clients can use it. Because internally, Nick and I are servants to our team, and we have values around that, around servanthood, accountability, and tenacity. That's that's kind of our internal uh, values and culture. And then externally to our clients, we have, you know, this brand promise that compliance line cares, we're client focused, we're, we're responsive, we're servants to our clients. And ultimately, there, there's a nice, nice linkage here, because ultimately, our clients, I think, as people and as an organization, they're servants to their organization, they're the conscience conscience of the organization. They're looking out for things that, you know, people let slip through the cracks. Um, and we're trying to help them be that hero and be that servant within their organization to keep their people safe, to make sure that a risk doesn't, you know, dismantle a, uh, you know, a division or wreck a reputation or something like that. And, you know, I, I think that the heart that Nick and I have to serve our clients and our employees is similar to the heart that, you know, compliance officers have, you know, as you interview them, you hear them talk about, you know, what they care about and they care about people and getting this job done and stuff like that. Um, and I think that when we, we can all link arms, we can really make the world a better so workplace. I wanted to close with uh, uh, kind of an observation of the report and specific question. One of the things through, uh, throughout the report is you give specific um steps that companies can take to either remedy as a process, improve a process. And you have a section called actionable steps on page 37. And I was wondering if you could just kind of go through those and touch on those because it strikes me even more so now it's part of your ongoing outreach and communications with the broader compliance community. Yeah, I think the first one um, we kind of touched on a little bit, and that is that your your hotline is really the start of a conversation. It's not just this bottomless comment box. So I think when we can reframe that and you can recognize that you're never going to have an organization that your clients love if it's not full of employees who love that organization first. And so that's 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 the essence of a relationship there right so any any relationship is sort of foundationally built on some kind of belonging well that belonging is going to be uh you know you need you need a conversation and a voice to be heard in the context of the system so i think recognizing that places a greater onus on the investigation team not that they just have to process what's the next report in my queue, but that recognizing that there's a person beh- behind that and this person overcame some kind of anxiety to raise their hand about something that uh, is bothering them or something that they feel uh, doesn't fit in in their organization. And we as servants to our, our organization as compliance leaders, it's on us to make sure that that person knows that we care about what they said and that we value them raising their hand and speaking up. And that we're going to do something about it. So kicking off that conversational flywheel is just a, uh, a super powerful way that compliance can help reinforce that speak up culture that we're trying to drive. The next one is about how recognizing that your intake processes and your hotline, they're a resource for the whole organization. Um, and, you know, if 
if this is if this process is just looked at, hey, this creates some work for the compliance team, and we just got to follow up on these issues. You're really missing a lot of the benefit that you can get by engaging the whole organization and realizing that you know you know we we see the stories of compliance finding something that you know saves an investment in the manufacturing area or compliance the the compliance team coming up with something that create you know uh, finds an inefficiency in a process and really makes the whole sales team right. you know be be able to sell this in a different way or whatever it might be um, and recognizing that your whole organization is going to benefit from a strong compliance function can help open up your eyes and help you see the whole horizon of uh, the impact that we can have and you know there's there's ultimately this discussion around well should we wait for the CEO to call on compliance to kind of step up into uh, the role that we know we can take or should we lead ourselves there and lead the organization there and be ready for it um, you know I'll take either one and anything that kind of um, gives more focus and uh, respect to the compliance organization I'm down for but I think if you're not getting that that pulled into you're not getting pulled into those conversations by the board and the execs, then, you know, you can lead that by building uh, kind of cross-functional collaboration across other divisions and help make this ethics and compliance function something that makes the whole company better. Yeah. And I think if I can add to that, um, Christy just put out, uh, Christy Granhart just put out an article yesterday and in it was a quote um, where somebody was asking, you know, hey, you should ask all, all compliance officers, how many board members do you have in your phone? This is this was a question around sort of compliance and independence. But I think it's a great question, especially uh, when you look kind of internally across the organization. We as compliance leaders need to need to have the CFO's number in our phone and the chief of strategies in our in our phone and, and the HR person in our phone. And I think um, many times as an organization grows, especially when you're understaffed and so forth, you end up kind of coming into that that pigeonhole or that or that cubbyhole, and you have your head down and you're you're just just doing your work. And again, as that complexity increases, some sometimes kind of silos can be erected between. Uh, between these different divisions. So getting back to this being a resource for your whole or, or organization, Compliance Line can help reach across the aisle, so to speak, and help solve a problem in HR or help solve a problem in strategy or uh, or in, in finance using some of our tools. So, um, you know, reaching out across the aisle and saying, hey, I have this this tool in place. Would this be able, you know, would you would you guys be able to utilize this is is a quick way to get to get some wins and engender some goodwill from a reciprocity standpoint to start building those more strategic relationships within the within the organization. But if compliance remains an island, it's never going to elevate to that strategic uh, to that real strategic impact it has the potential to have. Gentlemen, uh, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but I was wondering if listeners wanted more information on either the 2020 benchmark report or um, Compliance Line, where could they go? Yeah, so they should um, definitely go to ComplianceLine.com in our resources section. They can download this report, um, and uh, they, we, we have a really robust resource section with ebooks and white papers and blogs and videos and webinars and stuff like that. So that's a bunch of stuff that we just put out there to help compliance leaders be better and more successful. Um, and I'll, I'll share a link with you, Tom, in case you want to put it in the, in the show notes so people can get this report directly. Um, and uh, you can always catch me and Nick and and Compliance Line generally on LinkedIn. We're doing a lot there to share the things that we think are going to make the world a better workplace. And, you know, whether you're a client or not, reach out and you want to go over the report or brainstorm some ways to use your current kind of tool set um, to improve and to elevate, uh, reach out. Like, like Gio said, our purpose is to make the world a better workplace. And we're going to do that 
one way or another. And so uh, we just want to help and be a positive impact on our community and the uh, and the shared mission that that we all have to uh, to improve and make our workplaces safer and uh, more engaging. And I would just add that you can check out two podcasts, Compliance Live and The Ethics Expert on the Compliance Podcast Network, both produced by uh, the Brothers Gallo and their team at uh, Compliance Line. So, gentlemen, as always, it's been a ton of fun. Uh, Thanks so much for the report, and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks, Tom. Love your work, man. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Tom. Had a blast. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. I hope you'll join me again next week where I take a look at an issue related to the FCPA Compliance and Ethics. We have two great new podcast series on the Compliance Podcast Network that I hope you're aware of. The first one is Compliance and Coronavirus, where I try to bring sanity and clarity to the compliance practitioner and the business executive around coronavirus. Also, the Compliance Life features one CCO a month talking about their journey to the CCO chair and beyond in four parts. Uh, this month, that's Ryan Robillet and has who has a fascinating journey. Also, if you're a fan of Teddy Roosevelt, I have a series on 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership hosted by Richard Lummis, where we're looking at Teddy Roosevelt, his life, his presidency, and beyond, and what its messages are for the leaders of today. It's a fascinating series. I know you will enjoy it, and it's particularly important for compliance practitioners to uh, take a look at leadership skills. I hope you'll join me again next week for our next episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.